come in just a little bit, uh, we can make room for some more folks to sit down uh, who are up. We're glad that you're here. You know, and I have a picture of Martin Luther up here on the cover of the current issue of Christianity Today, and uh, I was reading about him this week, and he used to preach for almost two hours, and uh, the people had to stand for the entire time. And uh, things have changed. Uh, <laughs> now then, our lesson today is found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. We are continuing to study the parables of the kingdom, that is the kingly reign of Christ over our lives, or the discipleship parables. And the one today is very interesting, two little short parables. Look at verse 44 of the 13th chapter of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. This week I feel like I've been back in the Middle Ages. I've been reading about the Reformation, all about church history. One funny thing happened in some monastery. They, you know, they often take vows. Uh, and by the way, this is not in any Catholic service. I like the new pope very much. I would have voted for him. Uh, he's a good preacher. I wish I could get him to come here. Uh, he is very fine, and he said a lot of good things. Uh, but back in the Middle Ages, they were, uh, there were a couple of brothers that uh, were in a monastery where they had taken vows of silence. And uh, they got to say one sentence every Christmas Eve. And so one Christmas Eve... Uh, this brother got to exercise his freedom of speech and say his one sentence. And he said, I think the food in this monastery is terrible. <laughs> and then another year went by. And then uh, Christmas Eve came again. And uh, he could make a second sentence. And so he said, the food hadn't changed one bit in the past year. And then the next year, his other brother had this, the privilege of the floor, and he said, I think I'm going to move. I can't stand this constant complaining. <laughs> so <laughs> we run into it. Uh, the parables that we, have to, that we have been studying have had to do with discipleship, and one of the key things about this is the element of surprise. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who is one of my favorite uh, authors and one of the great Christians of uh, our century uh, has an autobiography called Surprised by Joy. He really got it because he, uh, in reading G.K. Chesterton, who was also uh, a great Roman Catholic Christian, Gilbert Chesterton, uh, was surprised by joy too when he came into faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus, in teaching these parables, shows us an element of surprise and an element of joy. 
there is in the first parable that we studied some weeks ago about two brothers, for the benefit of all you visitors and the people listening on the radio, who were told to go and work in the vineyard. And one of them uh, said, no, I don't want to work in your silly old vineyard and I'm not going to. And uh, the other said, yes, Father, I will go and work in your vineyard. But he did not go and work in his vineyard. He just said that. And then the other brother who had refused to go during the course of the day began to think about the fact that he had not worked in the vineyard and he repented. Now, repentance is a joyful, refreshing thing. That means there's a new chance and a brand new beginning. He went back to his father and he worked in the vineyard. And then Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees, and to the Sadducees, the religious leaders who were criticizing him because of the love of God which he was showing uh, to disreputable people who were coming into the kingdom. Jesus showed them how God's grace works, how God will take people who at first say no to him and then later change their minds and come back to him. That's one of the things that we want to keep in, in mind. It's never too late. You can come to Jesus Christ. And remember that. Uh, you can come to Jesus Christ. When our friend from the Gideon spoke a moment ago about the person about to take their life, uh, the, that person was one of the 11th hour people who came to Christ then. I do want to add that not all people who die by their own hand go to hell. I think it's unfair to say that because we're not God and we cannot judge. And there, uh, uh, he is the one who has all the facts. And he knows that there are people who are broken in the madness of despair. And he judges with a severity that's greater than anything we would judge with. And he also judges with a magnanimity and a generosity and a love that's far more understanding than we would ever judge with. So let's keep that in mind, too. He takes uh, the 11th hour. Now, uh, taking our own life is wrong for the same reason taking anyone else's life is wrong. Uh, it's against the law of God, and uh, it is uh, uh, taking a prerogative which we should not. But this does not mean that people uh, sometimes are not broken by uh, haplessness and helplessness and hopelessness and are stampeded and panicked into uh, things which they would not have done otherwise. Now then, we saw the parable of the two men who went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee, a very religious person, and a sinner, a publican, a tax gatherer. We don't know what caused him to go up there. He must have had something that was hard on his heart that caused him to go to the temple to pray. But he went up there to pray. He stood a great way off. He didn't feel worthy to get near to the altar. And with his head bowed low, he cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But all that the Pharisee did was brag about himself. And Jesus said that the one who had cast himself on the mercy of God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, went down to his house justified or rather than the other who was looking to his own works. Martin Luther loved that parable, and he had some interesting things to say about it. Uh, then uh, in, we looked into the uh, parable in which Jesus told of how when the seed of the word of God is sown, an enemy may come under the cloak of darkness and sow tares 
so that there are false Christians and there is a false gospel and there is a false church and there is an antichrist. These are things that we should not be shocked by because we were told that they would exist by our Lord and the teaching of scripture exemplifies them. And then we look uh, today at a parable that tells us about the joy that comes. Last week we saw the mustard seed, just how little will do, a tiny little grain of faith. And if you exercise that grain of faith, the Lord can do great things with it. He is willing to receive you. Don't give up. The gospel is a gospel of hope and it is a gospel of joy and he wants us to know it. Now then, in the two short parables that we have today, uh, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven uh, is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found. You would have to understand something about the day in which Jesus lived, that his land was overrun and occupied by an enemy force. And sometimes when the enemy comes in and overruns the land, People will take their gold and go out and dig a place in the ground and bury it and hide it. And then perhaps maybe in an ensuing battle or some catastrophe, uh, they are killed. And then the land goes from one person to another person to another person. And the picture here is of some poor person who works by the day and he's got a job plowing in this field. And as he is plowing away uh, the uh, coulter, the plowshare, strikes into uh, uh, an object beneath the surface of the soil. He wonders what it is. If he's had some of the experiences that I've had, he thought it was a root. Or if he lived in Montreat, he knew it was a rock. And, <laughs> and uh, he has to stop and blister his hands digging it up. But when he hit that thing, he thought, oh, nuts, here's another rock. And I've got to dig it up. And then he scraped away some of the dirt and he looked. And then he saw it was a treasure chest. And then he opened it up, and it was full of gold coins. Boy, was he ever happy that he struck that rock. He covered it all back up real quick. And he went around to some of his friends and said, Look, I need a little money. I want to buy a piece of land. I'll pay you back, give you a lot of interest. And, <laughs> and then he bought the land. Now, you may argue with the ethics of doing this, but the point is, uh, he stumbles on the, uh, uh, to this uh, just in the ordinary pursuit of his ordinary life, uh, his ordinary work. Starwalt up here is the greatest organist anywhere around these parts, and I just love him. He plays so well, and I like him so much, and he doesn't ever fuss at me, and we've worked together for all these years. And uh, uh, there was another good organist, too. His name was Bach, and uh, <laughs> he, li <laughs> he lived over in Germany. And uh, he wrote some, you know what, that, that poor guy had to work for, for just about 800 bucks a year. And uh, to, for getting his $800 a year, he had to teach all the children's choirs. He had to teach the adult choirs. Uh, he had to teach anyone who wanted to learn music. He had to come up with a new composition every Sunday to play in church. And you know what he did? He would write those compositions and put them in a cupboard and they gathered dust all in the day's work that he was doing week by week. And what he was putting in there was Yesu, joy of man's desiring, where sheep sweetly graze, uh, O sacred head now wounded, 
all in the work that he was doing. The priceless treasures that God Almighty wrote through this gifted and brilliant man whose uh, life was dedicated uh, to Christ and who used it for uh, Christ's glory. It's a great thing uh, to work for his glory. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure uh, hidden in a field. And uh, he goes and sells everything that he has to get that treasure. Now, that's an important thing to remember. I don't know if you noticed a while ago when you were singing Martin Luther's hymn, but he, he had to sell everything he had to get the treasure of salvation. And if you notice, there is a line in that hymn that says, let goods and kindreds, kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, his truth abideth still. You see, when Luther came into salvation, he placed his neck quite literally on the block uh, when the Lord God spoke to him about the free grace by which we can be saved through faith as it is revealed to us in Scripture alone and by the work of Christ alone. This was quite a revolutionary thing. Uh, that happened to Martin Luther. Uh, the treasure hidden in the field was hidden for Luther. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he was born in 1483, on November the 10th, before Columbus ever discovered America. And uh, the Black Death was rampant. Whole villages were decimated by it. Everyone was afraid to die. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire was controlled by the church, which had at this time a lot of corruption in it, which our Catholic friends now recognize. And by the way, they put uh, Martin Luther's hymn in the uh, new editions of the Breviary, uh, their hymn book. And uh, so Luther wanted very much to be right with God. And uh, when he was just a young man, uh, 22 years of old, he had 22 years of age, he had taken a Master of Arts degree. And in 1505, he was uh, coming home on July 2nd uh, to visit his parents, and it was a sultry, hot day, and a lightning storm struck near where Luther was, and he fell to the ground, and he cried out uh, because he thought for sure he was going to die. He had been thinking about one of his young friends who had died, and he cried out, St. Anna, save me, and I will become a monk. Now, the reason he didn't say, God save me, was that God was looked upon as a terrible, austere judge who was going to send everybody into hell instantly and immediately. And Christ was looked upon as the fierce judge who sat at the end of a rainbow who would send everybody to hell. Mary was looked upon as being able to intercede with Christ and to get some uh, consideration for you. But Mary was even so holy that you couldn't get to her, you had to go to St. Anna. And St. Anna would tell Mary, and Mary would tell Jesus, and Jesus would tell God. That's sort of the way it went. Well, so Luther didn't think to cry out to God, so he cried out to St. Anna, the patron saint of miners, because uh, coal, uh, copper miners, his father was a copper miner. And uh, uh, save me and I'll become a monk. Well, he had to go through with it. He made the promise. He did, his father didn't like it because he was a very bright young man, and he had sent him to Erfurt, a town of about 30,000, to the best university there, and he'd gone to school and made very good grades, and his father wanted him to be a lawyer. And he was thoroughly enraged when Luther uh, gave away his law books and 
uh, went into a monastery. Uh, but Luther wanted salvation. And in the monastery, he tried to get salvation by works. He took vows of chastity and vows of poverty and vows of, vows of obedience. He worried his confessors uh, by confessing the most trivial things. They would come into their confessional already to hear some gory story that he had, and he confessed some trivial thing, and they'd say, oh, go away. If you don't have anything worse than this to confess, don't worry me. Uh, he was always uh, doing this. He was starving himself to death. Uh, he was begging, and he couldn't get any peace. He was very, very restless. But God had a very good Christian uh, man in that monastery who said, I'm going to put you to reading the Bible. And so Luther began to read the Bible. And through his reading the Bible, he read the Psalms and started to lecture on them. And he was very bright. He started Psalm 1 and started working his way numerically through the Psalms. And when he got to Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which Jesus had cited on the cross. Luther was startled. And he could understand why he would be forsaken of God because he thought he was so horribly unworthy and knew he was and he wasn't reconciled to God and didn't know how to be. But why, 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 why would Christ, who was not weak, who was not sinful, why would he be saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he knew why. He was forsaken so that we might be redeemed. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That meant that if he bore our sins, then we did not have to bear the penalty of those sins. They were borne by Christ. So that means that in Habakkuk, a verse which said, the just shall live by faith, upon which Paul speaks in Romans, the just shall live by faith. Upon which Paul also speaks in Galatians, the just shall live by faith. Upon which Paul also writes in Ephesians, the just shall live by faith. That he will be justified in the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ, who would be his sin bearer. And that brought peace to his troubled soul, the treasure that he found there. And so Luther didn't realize when he, on October the 31st, 1517, nailed his 95 theses at sentences for debate on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg that he was going to fire uh, such a shot that would be heard round the world. But the printing press had been newly invented and uh, it revolutionized it because, because it meant that these sentences for debate were published and printed and people could take them off and read them. And Luther uh, began to uh, see that what had happened to him in experiencing the grace of God could be experienced by others. And so it caused a great revolution in the church. And the church was being reformed, and that's where the word reformation comes from, reformed according to the word of God instead of the traditions of the people down through the, through the ages. And that's what brought about the Reformation. So that's a treasure hidden, hidden in the Psalms, hidden in Galatians, hidden in Romans, which he found. And for joy, 
he cast his lot, his whole life on the block, in order to know this salvation. Now then, the pearl of great price teaches us a story. The parable is that of a merchant who is a, a shrewd jeweler, who is looking for, for the finest pearl that he can find. There's a man by the name of Nicodemus who's like this. He was a leader of the Jews, and he wanted very, very much to be right with God and to know what it would mean to know the kingdom of God. And when this carpenter from Nazareth, who had become the teacher of the kingdom of God, began to tell these matchless stories which we have been reading and studying, Nicodemus listened. And when he saw blind men made to see and lame men able to walk and even dead persons raised and multitudes fed, all of the Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah begin to click in his mind and so he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus one evening and said to him, Teacher, we know that you have come from God. In fact, he says, My dear teacher, we know you have come from God, for no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. And then Jesus told him, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, old, old man that he was, said, How can a man be born when he is old? I'm too set in my ways. My hair is gray. I'm old. I can't change. And then Jesus told him that by the Holy Spirit's power and by confession of his sins, he could be transformed by the power of God. And that's a wonderful thing, the transformation that takes place in Nicodemus and the transformation that takes place today when that regeneration, that new birth comes to us even to this day. He saw the pearl of great price and he was willing to sell all in order to obtain it because you can see him as one of those members of the Sanhedrin who would not go along uh, with the putting to death of Jesus. And you can see him with Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate to beg for the body of Jesus. This Nicodemus had found the pearl of great price. Zacchaeus had an eye for money too. And Zacchaeus had met Jesus, and Jesus had talked with Zacchaeus. Jesus had called him out of a tree and had taken him out of his hiding place and, taken him and had gone to his house. And Zacchaeus was converted and became a believer, a son of Abraham, a son of faith, and Jesus pronounced it. He found the pearl of great price. So this pearl merchant is uh, pictured as one who knows pearls, who seeks the very best pearl, who when he does find the pearl of great price, doesn't hesitate to part with everything else that he's got to go and buy that particular pearl. Now that teaches us about salvation. It teaches us about salvation that we give as much of ourselves as we know how to give to as much of Jesus Christ as we understand. Justin Martyr in the second century was a great uh, philosopher, and yet he put his philosopher's cloak aside when it stood in the way of the simple gospel. Augustine, who was the sensualist, 
who is always saying, God, make me pure, but not yet, because there was some other sin that he wanted to commit. Finally, one day, when he heard the voice saying, take and read, and he opened the epistle to the Romans, and he read, uh, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh, then he, too, became a believer in the Lord Jesus and found the pearl of great price. And then, of course, our friend Martin Luther and John Calvin and uh, uh, Zwingli and Melanchthon and John Knox and John Bunyan and right on down through history, John Wesley, George Whitfield, uh, up to this present day when we see people who find in Jesus Christ the answer to all their needs. Now, why are you here this morning and why, why are you a Christian? We should be a Christian, first of all, because Jesus is Lord. Not just for, not for the emotional benefits that it brings to lull us in our fears and comfort us in loss, but, but because Jesus is Lord. We said that in the creed this morning, and we need to believe it in our life. The earliest Christian creed was three words, Jesus is Lord. I remember still going to a place in Italy where a beautiful young woman was slain by a Roman soldier during Nero's persecution. And she was a Christian. And the soldier who slashed his sword down to sever her head, cut into her neck, and then ran away before she died. And she left three fingers folded like this in death. And those three fingers meant Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord because he deserves to be Lord. He is proclaimed Lord. And there, there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, he is our Savior. He comes to save us from our sins. The only answer to guilt is the grace of God. The guilt which we experience and realizing that we have not done our best with the opportunities that we have had in life. The guilt which we experience when we know those things which we've done wrong and need forgiveness. His, his sacrifice can take away our sins. All the penances, all the fasting couldn't do it. Luther found that Jesus Christ is Savior. Thirdly, Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Those who know and love the Lord Jesus and follow him in life find him good. I need thee every hour, most precious Lord. I need him every hour. You need him every hour. All of us here need him every hour. And we find that he brings blessing and he does bring strength to our minds and to our hearts and to our lives. We want to remember and keep this. And he brings us also into a body of believers. I wish I had time to talk about the church, not just the Protestant church or the Catholic church, but the body of believers, all who are truly born again of the grace that we've been talking about and who are one in the Spirit and one in the Lord and who know each other's love. One of our great missionaries uh, uh, in Korea, Samuel Moffat, I heard him speak at the, at the uh, Lausanne Congress on Evangelism. Sam Moffat told the story of during the most tense days of 
negotiations at Panmunjom in, in Korea at the uh, demilitarized zone when the North Koreans were uh, so seemingly hateful to everything that the Americans would approach that a UN negotiator who was a believer was in that probably most rigid communist country in the world today. And he was going to his hotel one night and a Korean saw him, some street sweeper, some person on the street at night, and began to whistle, what a friend we have in Jesus. The communist guards who were with him, they didn't know what the tune meant. They couldn't understand it. They didn't know anything about it. And Sam Moffat said his UN friend, who was a Christian, whistled back, what a friend we have in Jesus. They passed like ships in the dark, but with the love of Jesus flowing between them. It's been my joy to be in leper colonies in Thailand, to be amongst poor people in Africa, to walk in the streets of Calcutta, to be in Bombay, to be in New Delhi, to be in hard places in the world, but to find those who know and love Jesus puts us in that fellowship with him, which is more wonderful as the days go by, which causes us to assist each other and come to each other's aid and to encourage each other in the faith. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? If you don't, you can belong to him. His grace is extended to you. You can accept it by faith, trusting in him. Scripture reveals this to you. And Christ is all, all you need. Will you bow in prayer? Before I make this closing prayer, may I say to you that there is not one single person within the sound of my voice this day who cannot have the treasure hidden in the field or the pearl of great price or know the joy of salvation. For Jesus said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Just as simply as that, you can open the door of your heart and ask Jesus to come in. You can go someplace this afternoon and pray about it. You can speak with a Christian friend about it. And now, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy that Jesus Christ brought into this world, that those of us who make such a miserable mess of things can turn to you and know that you can bring to our hearts peace, peace with you, and even peace with one another, too, and love that flows from one to the other to help. We thank you for this priceless treasure which Jesus offers to us and for this pearl of great price. Help us not to be afraid to sell all that we have, to get rid of every encumbrance, and to yield ourselves a hundred percent to him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.